Hi, women of the hours. Did you know that Rihanna has a line of socks? I did because there's not one thing I don't know about Rihanna. It's true, Rihanna has a line of socks. And they're only available from our sponsor, stance.com. That's S-T-A-N-C-E dot com. Go get yourself some Rihanna socks. This year, you deserve it. Okay, so mom, Mm -hmm. will you give us the way that you would advertise Blue Apron? Before we get started, a quick thank you to Blue Apron for sponsoring Women of the Hour this season. Check out this week's menu at blueapron.com slash women, and you'll get your first three meals free with free shipping, and that's got to be great. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. As always, this show is brought to you by the sensual and remarkable MailChimp. Do you have a newsletter? You should. They're so fun, and you can have people listen to all your crazy ideas. MailChimp can help. Over 14 million people use MailChimp. So here at Women of the Hour, we talked about doing an episode called Trauma and Triumph, and one of the people we were most keen to speak to was the remarkable Geneva Reedville, one of the mothers of the movement. Um, She lost her daughter, Sandra Bland, to police violence in Texas in uh, 2015. When we did the interview, we expected it to fall into a lineup of interviews that were all looking at trauma and the various ways that it shapes our identities. But Geneva was so remarkably thoughtful, generous, brave and revolutionary that we knew that we had to devote the entire hour to her and to the way that she protects her daughter's memory. It's an honor to have spent time with someone who has turned their grief into strong grassroots activism that has taken them all around the country. Geneva is making sure that Sandra's story never dies and that other women who are lost in prison are remembered. She's making sure that we don't forget those names, that we don't forget those experiences, and that we hold on to their realities. So I'm very grateful to be able to share her words with you. We've had a lot of esteemed guests, but there's no one we've been quite as honored to host as Geneva Reedville. So she is an activist in the Black Lives Matter movement, also known as a mother of the movement. She is so stylish you wouldn't believe So starting from the beginning, if you could tell me a little bit about what this trauma of losing Mm. Sandy felt like initially and sort of the series of emotions that follow a loss that's big. Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me here. Thank you. uh, I will share with you that when you talk about losing a child, uh, getting the initial phone call, your mind says this is not real. No way. This No, this is not happening. Uh, In my case, she's a thousand miles away. She had just left home the Monday prior. One week. We had just come back from a family reunion. Are you kidding me? Okay. So when you get a call that says to you, your daughter is gone, like in a cell, dead, you immediately begin to scream. This was my reaction. I immediately started screaming. I could not believe it. Uh, Mind you, I was not the first person called, and I was not called by the jail. I was the fifth person called. Uh, The jail contacted other family members who then contacted my oldest daughter who then called me. So by the time I got the call, I was fifth to hear that my daughter was no longer here. Okay. You're talking about screaming an unbelievable shriek 
okay? I fell to my knees. I, I, I wasn't praying right away. No, 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 no. I was angry. So two things happen to you. You, you are angry, and then you're in denial. You're saying, no, no. This, no, this, there's got to be another Sandra Bland. No, you're not calling me about my daughter. And then you get this overwhelming feeling in your heart that feels like someone is stabbing you there. It's almost like uh, it's being ripped out. That's what it feels like. And so as you go on and you try to call about the details and you're getting the real details, uh, in my case, I called down to the jail and... Um, I still couldn't believe it. Even though I was talking to my daughter, she's crying, I'm crying. The phone's ringing back to back. You've got everybody trying to call you, okay? Um, I call down to the jail, and the gentleman picks up the phone. I'm screaming, and he says, hey, listen, if you don't stop screaming, I'm going to have to terminate this call. That's my intro to Walla County Jail, okay? And so I calm down, and he says, yeah, okay, yeah, Sandra Blaine, yeah, she's on her way to the morgue. That was my notification. And there was never a, I'm sorry, none, none of that, okay? Now, I'm a licensed minister. I've been a licensed minister four and a half years. Right there, I said, God, this is bull. This is, you let this happen to me? You, I, I minister to people. I go see the sick. I go to everybody's funeral. I worship you. You let this happen to me? I was instantly angry with him with the world, with Waller County, with everybody. So you talk about being angry, disgusted, hurt, in denial. All of that is going on. I think they have a doctor's report that says that, that comes in stages. No, 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 no. <laughs> All of that was happening in that uh, uh, sphere of about 15, 20 minutes, okay? And so if you are not able to step back and say, okay, I have to really deal with this. Because your initial anger will cause you to do something that you shouldn't do, okay? And so you have all of these feelings of you want to go get that individual, all right? Well, at this time, we hadn't had the—we did not know anything about Brian Insinia. We did not know anything about how she was escorted from the car. None of that. We knew none of that. We just knew that they told us that she committed suicide. Brian Insinia being the arresting yes, officer. Yes, Brian Insinia was the arresting state trooper. The pieces didn't match. Something didn't feel right. Something just didn't sound right. And then over the course of the next hour, we got three different stories. You know, and so you, you, you're, you're trying to piece all of that together. You're trying to remember what the last person said to you. And you're still saying, but my baby's gone. And so I immediately picked up the phone and called her cell phone. And, of course, I go straight into voicemail. And all I could hear was her voice. That was it. And I said, okay, she's still here. Come on. Now, they've told me she's going to the morgue, right? <laughs> and so you're in that denial state. I think that if somebody would have told you they saw me at that moment, I might have looked like a zombie of some sort. And so even though I was angry, I knew that if I did not get myself together, I wouldn't make it. I knew it. Now, I have four other daughters at home, but I am burning, boiling mad because my baby, she was 28 years old, and she's gone, you know? But I just kept saying to myself, something is going to come of this. Something good has got to come out of this. And then I went from 
this only being about Sandy, to how many other people has this happened to? And it's been pushed under the rug. And immediately I wanted to find out. And in that season, I hadn't even put her in the ground yet. I hadn't, we hadn't, even, I hadn't even retrieved the body yet. But I said, this has happened too many times. It's being done business as usual. And so I said, okay, I have to go and see how often this has happened without anybody doing anything about it. And that's when I found out that there were other women who had died in jail and nothing had been done about it. And I said, okay, all right, that's going to be my mantra. That's going to be my banner. I need to be well so that I can get on this trail and do what I need to do for another mother. Because the kind of pain that you feel and what goes on in your head, you can very easily take yourself out of here. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're talking about your baby. And before Sandy's death, there had been a lot of attention paid to the police assault on young black men. But the conversation about young black women also being victims of police brutality really hadn't started. No. And you really did the research to understand that your daughter wasn't the first woman who had been affected by that. I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. That's right. About why you think those women hadn't received the attention and why you think Sandy's death was a catalyst. Mm, I believe that everything has a time and a season to it. Okay. Uh, I, I totally believe that because we were in an election season, I believe that because we had seen Trayvon and because we had seen Mike and because we had seen the men, the nation was already about to rise up. And we were focusing on just the men. Well, when Sandy's death happened, I said, no, no, we're not going to shut up about this. No, no, no way. And so she's got a lot of uh, the family has a lot of students in media. And so the kids were the ones who began to start hitting social media right away, immediately. Uh, they said, within hours, this is going to be viral. And that's what they did. Um, for Sandy, I, I, all I can remember is her getting out of that car. We all have seen the video. And the last thing she said when she stepped out of that car was, let's do this. I don't think that she thought that, that well, those were going to be her final you know, moments. I, I think that in her brain, she's thinking, oh, I'm, you, you, we, we're going to court. You, your butt is going to get it, <laughs> okay, because I am not shutting up about this. And even as she got out of the car and she still had her phone, which we haven't gotten back, by the way, uh, she still had her phone. She was saying, oh, yeah, I can't wait for you to get to court. I can't. And she's doing this. She's taping it. And that's when they told her to put the phone down. Mind you, we have still not gotten her phone. We've still not gotten her clothing. Uh, we still never received the bag that they said was used for the uh, uh, hanging. None of that. We received none of that. Uh, and so I, I think that the time had come for a wide exposure to happen. So now here we are. You've had several officers to quit inside of the jail. You've had the uh, mayor to be replaced, who was the mayor at Prairie View for a long time. You had the police chief of Prairie View Department just walked in on a Tuesday and said, I quit. No two-week notice, no nothing. So you've had all of this domino effect of people who now have been removed from these positions, okay? And I said, wait, 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 wait. It seems like everybody's trying to get away from the responsibility. Somebody knows something. 
And so there was Kendra Chapman, and I believe she was the next day after Sandy, uh, 18 years old, and had gone to jail for uh, supposedly stealing a iPhone. Okay, uh, within two hours, she's dead, hung in jail, 18 years old. Are you kidding me? And so there was no outcry about this. And I'm going, wait a minute. This was the day after Sandy. I don't hear anything going on about this young lady. And so I said, all right. It was the next day after Sandy's funeral. I literally eulogized my own baby. And I said from the pulpit, they are planted all over the country. I said, when I put this baby in the ground, it's on. This means war. So I started looking on the Internet, women's in-custody deaths. And it all started coming up. There were six other women who died in jails in July of 2015. Nobody said their names. You have one young lady. She is literally downstairs in the infirmary dead, Alexis McGovern. Downstairs in the infirmary dead, and her family's upstairs paying the bill. And once they paid the bill, they were told she was deceased. Are you kidding me? Nobody said anything. And so as I started looking and researching and looking, it started jumping on me that, of course, nobody said anything because you're supposed to say something. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I started trying to rationalize or trying to understand how is it that we can have all of this happening and nobody saying words. Well, we've got a criminal justice system that's really not working well. Uh, we have fear. Uh, in my own case, I was told several times uh, that I needed to tone it down, uh, that maybe I, I didn't need to be speaking in so many places, um, uh, or maybe I might want to think about showing up to certain things. It's just very real, okay? And Do you so, think that's a sort of society's insane but pervasive depiction of black women as angry or fiery absolutely. or too pissed off. Or... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I even heard that uh, 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 on a couple of sets. Uh, when you say that a black woman is always angry and she's always mouthy, well, guess what? We need to be. You know why? Because if we don't speak out, you will have things continue to happen to you and no one will ever know it. And these other six women are the prime example. I don't know their families. I don't know who they are. All I know is I'd love to sit down with every last one of them in a room and ask them, where are you? Where are you in your head? What's going on with you, mother? Because I tell you, if you don't have somebody to come along and hold your hand, it's easy to be lost in this whole cycle. Okay. And so now Huffington Post did an article about 816 people dying in custody one year after Sandy. Nobody else is saying anything. And what they said was, and this is possibly the right number, because there were several institutions that wouldn't give us that information. Something is wrong with that. Everything is wrong with that. And when you, I mean, you've become one of the primary, in your research and your activism, you've become one of the primary experts specifically in young black women dying in custody. How, this is a really hard question, I'm sure for you to answer, but you've spent so much time thinking about it. How do you explain those deaths? When you imagine those women in those cells, 
How do you explain what happened to them? You cannot explain what happened to them. The only thing that the mind says, and, and this is my mind. I'm not talking about anybody else. The only thing that my mind says is there is a willful disregard for human female life. Willful disregard. And when you say to me that there is this uptick in females that are just so distraught that they're just killing themselves in days of being in a facility, that is not right. Something is wrong with that, okay? You take my daughter, for instance. First of all, she's 6'2", okay? And when you say to me that she hung herself with a garbage bag, which is a liner, which would not even hold my or your underwear, okay? 6'2", from a partition that's 5'10". Those two don't match, okay? Uh, when you say to me that my daughter had to be handled by three different funeral homes, she's the only one I know on this earth. I'm 51 years old. She's the only one I know on this earth that was handled by three funeral homes. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. So something is not right here, okay? And when you look at an individual that was already dead in a facility and family is on scene paying a bail, you're telling me that in your system there wasn't some flag that came up to say this person is downstairs deceased. Something is wrong with that, okay? You're telling me that an 18-year-old, Kendra Chapman, goes into the jail and there's a recycle of officers going in and out on duty, supposedly. And no one notices that this young lady apparently attaches several sheets together. First of all, where do all sheets come from? Two hours. You're kidding me. Something is wrong. Some people in authority, if you confront that authority, okay, there is a natural, oh, you won't talk to me like that. You won't speak with me in that manner. You won't disrespect me. I'm not saying that's all officers. I am saying clearly that was a Brian Insinia issue, okay, because Sandy did not disrespect that officer. She was very calm in the beginning until she was threatened to be tased and told to step out of the car. She asked several times what, what, what? She knew her rights. Yeah. And so when you are uh, that type of a female, number one, you're having an issue because you're talking back, supposedly. And then number two, there is this, no, you're not going to talk to me that way because I'm the person in authority. I've had some of those incidents early, early on in my early life. Sandy was definitely a chip off the old block. Um, <laughs> growing up, I always wanted to make sure that I knew my rights because I just don't feel like anybody should have to be disrespected in any manner. Listen, an officer is trained to do what it is that he does. He's actually trained to de-escalate, okay? The onus is on that officer to de-escalate that situation. Yeah. If it were not true, Mr. McGraw, the boss at the time of Mr. Insinia, would not have fired the guy. Yeah. Okay? So that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a lot of ego. You're dealing with a lot of emotions, and immediately when somebody is in opposition to you, oh, it's going to create a little bit of a problem. I know that. And so unfortunately, because we can't see 
behind these closed doors, these closed cells, um, because we we were told that uh, very early on when we got the call, we were told, you'll be able to see Sandy do it to herself. Based on camera, video, we would be able to see. And so I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, they have it on video. Okay, well, then they'll be able to prove it. And when we got there, totally different story. We Everything we were told in the beginning and when we got there, totally different. We were told we'd be able to get her things, her phone, her everything. When we got there, no. FBI has it. Uh, well, no, no you, you don't really see on the tape that she did it to herself. You just see the hallway. So there was no camera inside of any of the cells, so they say. There are just too many pieces that don't fit in each of these cases. And now we interrupt this program to bring you a word from our sponsors. I've always wanted to say that. It's a Saturday afternoon, Barbados. I'm drinking from a coconut with a straw in it. My best friend Rihanna is sitting across from me at her family pool. We're nude, except for one necessary item, stance, socks. We all have different dreams. That one's mine. I could make it possible. First, I'd have to get Rihanna to invite me to her house in Barbados, but what I can simply do is buy Rihanna's stance socks at stance.com. That's stance.com. Stance. The Uncommon Thread. Mom, do you remember that brief phase where you were taking cooking class and you were cooking all the time? Yeah, I made a lot of stuff. Um, I'm sorry and unfortunately that did not endure in our life. I think Blue Apron would have been really helpful when you were growing up because you could assemble a meal and sort of feel like you cooked it and have a real hot meal that you weren't technically reheating. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash women. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. That's blueapron.com slash women. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. Mom, that was so good. And now back to the incredible Geneva Reedville. In the days after Sandy died, you were forced not just to relive it personally, but to relive it through the press over and over again. And you also had to deal with the contingent who of Americans, the unfortunate contingent who want to deny the realities of police brutality and who wanted to paint Sandy as someone who was depressed or out of control or asking for it. How did you protect yourself when the media was on that constant spin cycle? And did that cause re-traumatization? Or were you able to sort of create a bubble around yourself and your family so that those depictions didn't affect you? Absolutely. As a mom, you you are trying to, to save your child's character. Well, she's already been killed one time. You don't want the world to kill him again, right? And so for me, that meant immediately getting off of social media. Period. So I got off of Facebook, got off of LinkedIn, all of it. I I got out of it. So that way you don't have to see what's being said. I stopped watching the news. I told everybody that I knew, don't text me about an updated story. Don't give me any of that. I know my daughter. Okay. I know the last 
conversation with my daughter. She was excited. She was ready to start school. She was ready to start as this ambassador at this school. She was on fire. I, I don't care what the world says. I know what she left me with. We just talked about it a week prior. Mom, I now know what my purpose is, is what she said. My purpose is to go back to the South and stop all of the injustice against blacks. Okay? I want to be a student ambassador. Everything she talked about one week prior, she got it. And then you're going to tell me she's going to go into a, 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 a cell and be that distraught and, and, and kill herself. No. So in my mind, I said, no, I'm not going to pick up what the people are saying. I'm not going to allow that to affect me. So I just stopped making myself available to the negative news. And I proceeded to move forward and do what I had to do because I knew that if I allowed that to taint me, this, this, the world making the comments didn't know my daughter. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? And now you're talking about believing a county that transported my daughter to three different locations, didn't do right by her, and you think I'm going to believe what they say? Get out of here. No. I decided not to listen to the social media mess. <laughs> I think if I had not done that and I had allowed all of this negative to download into me, I, I might not be sitting here with you today. You know, I had the amazing opportunity last summer to talk to Shanae Okamore mm -hmm. about Sandy and about her life. And Shanae was someone who'd had the opportunity to work with Sandy professionally mm -hmm. and hear about her burgeoning feminism and activism. And, you know, the really amazing thing was that before Sandra's death, she was already speaking about these issues. And I wondered how much you felt like her feminism and her activism, how much you were carrying those on in your in your fight. Oh, goodness. I, I, well, I'll say this. Sandy was a little bit more radical than I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, she was definitely about the underdog, period. I don't care uh, uh, if there was a situation going on and someone was being treated unfairly. Sandy is going to step in. You may not have ever asked her what she thought about it, but she was going to step in and she was going to tell you why this shouldn't be happening to you and why you should go do this and why you should go do that. I'm that way. But on a different scale, I'm not the one that would lay in the street. I am not the one that's going to shut the bridge down. You know, that's just not my piece. I know that I have picked up her baton. I know it. Oh, God, do I know it. Uh, but I'm just doing it in a different way for me, what works for me. And I always tell people in this movement, you have to know your lane. OK, you have got to know if you are not a protester. Don't you go out there trying to shut a bridge down. You are going to get hit. Okay. If you are not a letter writer, please don't send anything to the DOJ. They won't read it. Okay. But whatever your piece is, that's what you do. And all of those pieces are necessary to make the movement move. I say to people, movements move, activists activate. Which one are you? And then walk in that. Don't deter from what it is that you do. I've seen some photos of young women in protest. There was one specifically of a woman standing peacefully in front of an armed police officer with her hands up. And I actually had the thought that that seemed like where Sandy would be now were she present and able to be engaged with the movement. I don't think that Sandy would be standing there peacefully. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, being real with you. Yeah. Uh, I believe I saw the picture that you're talking about. The young lady had a sundress on. Her arms were extended towards the officer, and the officer was right there. Um, I believe that Sandy would be uh, one of those people on the front line. I believe that she would be one of the people that is right there, right there, and saying to the officer, but this is my right. I believe that that would be Sandy. She was just that way. And probably about seven or eight months prior to her death, she really delved into this police brutality thing. She started getting research and, you know, calling me. Did you hear about this person? Did you hear about that person? That was what she had immersed herself in, you know. And she really thought something has got to be done about this injustice. It's got to be. Now, as far as seeing her uh, pick up a weapon, a, 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 a standoff with a, a firearm, no, I, that wouldn't be Sandy. Uh, um, there are all types of peaceful protest, all types, but she would definitely be vocal. Now, she Sandy was one of five girls. You have, I mean, you are a mother of five. Yes. How do you stay engaged as a mother through this? And how did your daughters lift you up? And how did you lift them wow. up? What? How did this sort of change and focus your relationship with the girls who are here with you? Wow. It uh, Sandy's death actually brought life to everything that everybody else wanted to do. So each of us took a piece of Sandy, and we're working each arena. You see, everybody still wants to be the advocate for their sister, but now they want to be the advocate for others whose names haven't been called, who who uh, these things keep happening to. Uh, and then for us, it brought us even closer together. The girls were already very, 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 very close. Uh, but this death brought us even closer and then it allowed each of us to see the strength and the weakness of the other. A lot of people forget that when you're left with other children, there's a period of time where the others may feel like they're not being addressed. Uh, they may be angry because they feel like you're now focusing only on this one and they're still here. It's kind of like, okay, what am I, sliced bread? What the world? You know, what's going on? And so we did have that tiny period. We did uh, because I was I was gone all the time. And so the girls were kind of like, okay, mom, hello. You know, we're here. Okay. And I needed them to say that to me because all I could see right then was getting justice for Sandy. And so when you're able to be an adult about a situation and have someone confront you and say, mom, hey, this right here is not cool. I'm not liking it. And even though the girls were out doing functions as well, we needed to always be sure that nobody was feeling slighted. So then I found myself later on beginning to tell people, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I'm not only Sandy's mom. I'm Sharon's mom, Siobhan's mom, Sierra's mom, you know. And so I do that a lot now when I go out and speak. And so now the world knows, you know, that there's a whole whole bunch of them. Okay. And there are some more left behind. And so I found that that made them more um, secure. I got the honor to come on on the at the DNC after mm-hmm. your speech mm-hmm. with the other mothers of the movement and seeing you all come out together and then seeing you all come backstage. It was deeply emotional. It was a very good thing that my friend America and I had waterproof mascara <laughs> on or the whole thing would have been a disaster. <laughs> what is your relationship like with those women who oh, 
who you've traveled with, yeah. who you've spoken with, yeah. the other mothers of the movement. Yeah. Uh, just before coming upstairs, I just got off the phone with Maria Hamilton, who is Don Terry Hamilton's mom. And we talk, we connect, we stay connected because when I met these women, I knew their stories. But you want to talk about being in the room with them and now being one of them? God, when we all met was when Hillary got us together uh, in Chicago at uh, Sweet Maple Restaurant. Uh, There were 12 families there, and that is where we all initially met. And since that time, we've been on the road together. We call and check in on each other. Uh, My God, on the day of um, uh, our settlement, that would have been Eric's uh, 46th birthday. And so we were all texting Gwen and, you know, telling her, so it's all right, you know, you'll make it through this day. We all just hit pick up and hit the text and say, hey, you good? Or we'll call, hey, just checking on you. That bond that has been created, unfortunately, from this tragedy is really one that is probably going to be a longstanding one. And it's amazing that when you finally pick up the phone to really have that voice-to-voice call, because everybody's so electronically savvy, um, but you pick up that phone and have that voice-to-voice call, that other mom says, man, today wasn't a good day. Thanks, you know, for calling. So it's almost like a... um, inner uh, spiritual thing that you know, ah, text won't do today. Let me go ahead and, and make the phone call. And you've all been brought together by this very specific kind of tragedy and become the face of a movement together. Yeah. You speak beautifully as a group. You engage with each other. Do you ever have debates about the best way to move the movement forward? Are, there... <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? We're each individual people. And so even though the tragedy brought us together, we don't always agree on everything. And even though you only see nine of us and you only saw nine on the stage, there are millions of mothers of the movement. You become a mother of the movement when you lose your baby. Okay, and so we have to have people understand that. Heck no, we don't always. Are you kidding me, lady? You don't agree with everybody on your staff? Uh, Uh, No, I do not. Yeah. Okay, and it's okay for that to be the case, but respectfully. And so the the main thing that I will say about uh, being able to move forward, you you get on one accord and you say, hey, (laughs) I don't quite agree with that, but I'm going to roll with you since we're together. Beautiful. And, you know, it's a scientific fact that trauma changes us. It changes the way that we perceive information. It changes the way that we live. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how sort of the fiber of your being has been shifted by the experience of trauma. Yeah. I tell you what, trauma will show you who you really are. It will show you if you're strong. It will show you if you have resilience. It will show you if you're really weak. Trauma will do that to you. Um, I, I have to be honest with you and say what this has shown me is that I absolutely have staying power. I'm telling you, uh, because to be in a place mentally where you felt like your your body and your mind was like over here, but your brain was totally outside of your body and you just didn't care anymore, I had that feeling. I did. Uh, it was about a good four and a half months where I didn't care about anybody. I didn't care. I was speaking, but I was still angry. And it all came from non-forgiveness. I hadn't forgiven that officer. And so until I was in my house one day and I was in the bathroom and I said, okay, 
Brian and Cynthia, I forgive you, even though you didn't ask for it. I tell you the weight that came off of my shoulders. The, the trauma has shown me that you can decide on how you allow it to affect you. Nothing's going to change what has happened, but you can decide what will happen from that period forward. Are you going to be resilient and stand up, or are you going to just lay down and take it and say it's over? Forgiveness is the hardest thing for so many people. People mm. can't forgive their parents just mm. for, like, being sassy when they were kids. People yeah. can barely... People can't forgive ex-boyfriends for not having called them back. Yeah. So how do you find forgiveness in this massive way for someone who has who has been the you know catalyst for such a deep loss for you? Mm-hmm. You 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 say to yourself, okay, so now while I'm over here mad and I'm over here not forgiving this guy, guess what? He went on about his business. <laughs> he he's living his life. He's doing what he's got to do. Forgiveness is never about the other person. It's for you. And so until you release that other person, you will be in your own self-made prison. And so I, I needed to know that forgiveness wasn't about him. And, and I had somebody ask me, says, well, well what, would you, what would you do if you saw him? I said, if I saw him, well, I had to see him when we were in the court, when he walked into the hearing and pleaded not guilty. What I will say to you is that immediate anger in those first few moments came back the minute I saw this guy. And to, to see the individual with U.S. Marshals all around him and, and, and protecting him like he was the victim, it immediately made me say, this is not right. I have got to make sure that I don't let this thing kill me because there is work to do. And so sitting in the courtroom, even though I know all these emotions are rising up, I'm like, okay, okay, I, I, I don't want to cry and I don't want to look at this guy. I don't want to look at him. And so one tiny little tear came out, and I'm sitting on that front bench, and I'm going, you know, I'm like the Hulk on the inside, right? And I, cause, just because I didn't want anybody to see that. And uh, I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm back here with this feeling again. So I got to be sure that I really have forgiven this guy. And so then when they began to say the hearing was rescheduled again and again and again and again. It didn't affect me. Right now to this day, I still don't wish any harm on this officer. I don't. I really don't. I just hope that he understands that there is just a way that you have to treat people, period. Whether you ever work in law enforcement again, because, of course, the, the, the trooper has been fired, um, if he ever works in law enforcement again, regardless of whatever he does, there is a mutual, natural level of respect that you have to give people. And at the end of the day, I am hopeful that he has forgiven himself. And then the bigger picture of that is God allowed it. And it was allowed for a purpose. And that is where my head is. Forgiveness doesn't mean he's coming to the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> he's not allowed at the barbecue. No. He's Mm-mm. not allowed at the barbecue. No. Mm-mm. I guess the last thing I really wanted to ask you on this subject was, you know, mothers of black children live in a kind of fear that that white women can only imagine. Yeah. And you've experienced the most terrifying kind of loss and your attitude remains inspiringly grounded and hopeful. 
What do you say to the mothers whose children are here but are internalizing the loss of black children every single day to the Mm. black women who are living in fear every day Mm. for their children and who are being traumatized just by the news and the and the energy that our country has taken on. That's right. That's right. Well, to all of those moms, uh, to to everybody listening, I always say, look, you have to determine where are you? Where are you at in your head? If you are a closet racist, you got a problem. Your problem is bigger than the news that's out here. Okay. If you are a person that's traumatized by what may happen to your child, Don't be frozen in the what may happen. Get yourself prepared for what might happen and how I'll deal with it. Keep yourself in that mindset. You cannot walk around in fear. You cannot uh, walk around saying, oh, God, if my kid leaves out today, they won't make it back home. That's not the way to live. But you have to have yourself prepared so much so that if this hits your doorstep, You won't lose it. You won't try to kill somebody. You will understand that it has been allowed by a higher power for a bigger purpose than you can ever imagine. Because it never was about you. It's never about that kid. It's about something totally bigger. And I will say this, and I mean it with my whole soul. (laughs) The children are on loan to us. Okay? It's, it's, it's just the truth. They were never ours. We were trusted with them to raise, love, and get through their journey. God had their journey already planned. So if you think that keeping that kid in the house is going to stop whatever from happening, no, it's not. It's not. So I say let that kid live. If you sat every single day in fear about what might happen, You won't even be able to live your life on what is happening. So I say make sure that you're on the right road with your thoughts. Because life is going to happen, period. It happens to you. But you have to determine what you're going to do with it. I say to people, you have two choices every day. When something happens to you, you can either respond appropriately or you can respond foolishly. You make the choice. And that is something you can determine every single day. And if you're in that mindset, whenever, if ever anything happens, you'll always know, how do I want to respond here? And so my response had to do with how I wanted my daughter's legacy to be left behind. Now, before Sandy died, family and friends knew her. Now the whole world knows her. I wanted to have laws changed. I wanted to have different things happen that would be attached to her name so that folks would know she did not leave here in vain. She didn't. She didn't. So beautifully said. Geneva Reedville, more remarkable than we can even conceive. More power than we can even imagine. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Pineapple Street Media and Lenny Letter. Specifically, a whole bunch of chicks named Jenna Weiss-Berman, Liz Watson, Emily Becker, Barry Finkel, Gabrielle Lewis. Special thanks to Henry Malofsky, Max Linsky, Ben Cooley, Jessica Gross, and the stars for guiding us. Our music is by Andrew Dost, who's tall, slim, and engaging. Thanks, as always, to MailChimp for sponsoring the show, and thanks this week to Stance and Blue Apron as well. 
Thank you so much for listening, little ones. We will be back next week.